have a dream that all men are created Now, I reckon that everybody's got an amazing story in them, and it's really quite simple. Only look for three things. They need to be intelligent, articulate, and passionate. And guess what? If they're passionate, they're always intelligent about that subject, and they're also articulate. It's really that simple. All I've got to do is find their passions. But what also makes an interesting story for your story is somebody who is a little bit different to the norm. Somebody that we're interested in because they're doing something a little bit eccentric. And I mean eccentric not in the crazy sort of sense. I mean eccentric in the little bit off-center sense. They're going about life in their own special way or they think in a special way. What I also love discovering is somebody who is contradictory. Parts of their lives are in conflict with other parts of their lives, or at least the way we might perceive them. Having that disparity, having that tension between those parts of their life makes something really quite special about their story. And that's one of the things that we're going to explore today. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Your Story. I'm your host, Ian Kath. This is episode 59. Today, we're going to explore what I think is quite a contradiction in lifestyle quite a contradiction in the way someone perceives their world and we'll dip our toe in that water and explore how these conflicts maybe aren't as conflicting as we might initially think. I love finding that tension and I love discovering people who seem to have that tension and then go and explore it with them and that's what we're going to do today. If you like what you hear and you want to promote it across some of the social networking sites you can go to the site at yourstorypodcast.com and you can find some social networking links to promote the show to other people on Facebook, Twitter and those sort of places. I always love to hear from you so if you want to get hold of me you can send me an email at chat at yourstorypodcast.com or you can get me on Twitter. My name is Ian Kath on Twitter. Simple. And while you're over at the site, any comments on iTunes are really appreciated. It helps the show to get well noticed. Also, Iodo Promonet supply me with the music, which you can hear in the background. If you like it, go and get it and help the artists out. But we're not going to mess about today. I really want to get started in a hurry, and I just want to get into this show so you can listen to this. I think it's wonderful. I hope you enjoy Jane Teresa's story. Hello, Jane Theresa. Hello, Ian. Welcome to your story. Thank you. And we've met a couple times now because you're part of the Lifestyle Pod Network, which by the time this episode comes out, I may well also be a member of. Ah, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that's good. I'm looking forward to getting on board with James and everybody else. Uh, And because of that, we met at both a Christmas party and at an earlier meetup with Mm. a few of the other people from the Lifestyle Pod Network. And I leaned across the table and I said, so so what do you do, Jane Theresa? And you said... (laughs) I probably said I'm a dream analyst. (laughs) And I went, a what? (laughs) (laughs) At least that's further than a lot of people get. A lot of people, their face is either, 
oh, she must have said a business analyst. Oh, what did she say? I don't know what she said. So I won't ask any more questions. Or they go, oh, I think I'll just, I have weird dreams. I think I'll just remove myself to another area of the room right now. That's right. <laughs> but you came back. I came back and it's because a dream analysis, what a weird animal that must be. And, <laughs> and how do you make a life doing a dream analysis? And that was interesting. But there's lots of odd people out there. But what I love about people... I'm glad I'm an odd person. Oh, you're an odd person. <laughs> what I love about people who have different situations is the contradictions. Because then I asked you about your background. And your background, your training is as a... As a scientist. I yeah. have an honours degree, a Bachelor of Science honours degree in zoology. Specialising in? Neurophysiology. So here we've got a scientist, a hardcore scientifically trained individual who understands that the rules of the scientific process and repeated analysis and proof and all of that stuff working in a field that is very rubbery very vague and quite a bit esoteric <laughs> and i'm going now we've got a contradiction here so this one's ripe for plucking <laughs> okay maybe you see it as vague and rubbery and esoteric and and yes, I know that it's not entirely scientific, but my feeling of it is not quite as vague and rubbery as you see it. But yes, of course, it's esoteric. So, yes, exactly. <laughs> and I knew that you'd probably say something like that because you'd have to because you're scientifically trained. If you were scientifically trained and you were off looking for pixies in the back garden, you'd probably be unbalanced. <laughs> and I don't think you're unbalanced. So there's a nice contradiction in there. And somehow or other, you've been able to bridge these two fields that to a layperson like myself, do seem contradictory. Mm. And I'm really keen to explore that. But before we dig in deep, let's go back a bit. What's your background? As in where I was born yeah, and my yeah, history? Yeah. I was born on the south coast of England. So that's a British accent. In Portsmouth. Got. So somewhere in there is a British accent, yep. <laughs> an English accent even. Um, and I lived there for 15 years. And then we moved to Scotland. My father changed his job and we went to Scotland. And I really loved it in Scotland. We lived in Glasgow. So I stayed there, although the family went back home, I stayed there 11 years, went to university there. So kind of like part of my background is also Scotland because you know I was there from the age of 15, 16 to you know, whatever 11 years after that is <laughs> my, some, my kind of adult formative years. So I regard both Scotland and England as my background. So you got your training, your zoology training in Scotland? University of Glasgow. Okay, mm. okay. Um, and did you go beyond undergraduate there? I did start, I got an honours degree, which is an extra year there. And then I, um, I first of all did a year teacher training because I thought that was kind of, in those days, that was a good practical thing for women to do, kind of added all this, you know, lateral ability. And then I went to London to the National Institute for Medical Research to do a PhD. Is that where the neurology came in, is it? Yes, that was neurophysiology. However, I only stayed there for three or four months. Okay, so how do you get from neuro, from zoology to neurophysiology? In a, in the uh, undergraduate course that I did, we did a three-year general course in zoology. You know, so every term you could choose between, say, oh, you're gonna, you can do vertebrate biology or you can do invertebrate biology. So all the way through, you had choices to do. So this is so that you're getting constantly more and more narrow in your studies? That's right, yeah. To whatever your specialty would become? Yes. Right. And then in the final year, in those days, in the final year, we dedicated the whole year to one aspect of zoology and I chose neurophysiology so I spent the whole year all we did that year I think we had one 
on a Monday morning we had one hour tutorial on general zoology and the whole rest of the year was totally devoted to advanced neurophysiology and a research project. Okay. So yeah. we were in deep. So I don't think it's done that way in, today. In 60 words or less, <laughs> what's neurophysiology? Okay. Uh, well, neuro means uh, nerves and brains and physiology means basically how it all works. So it's the study of how the brain and the nerves uh, operate in the body, particularly how you sense things around you. So all your senses, looking, feeling, hearing, touching, smelling, whatever, how that information gets from the outside world along the nerves and to your brain and how your brain interprets that. And, and also the same within your body, how those nerves collect information around your body and get it to your brain. And what your brain does with that incoming information why were you studying that in regards to zoology and not in regards to human medicine? I probably, see, I'm not really an animal person. You know, people hear that I've got a zoology degree, they say, oh, how lovely. You know, what's your favourite animal? And I'm actually a human being, probably. <laughs> so I did zoology by default. Now, leading up to answering your question, I was brought up in the era where you were uh, taught at age 13 you had to make a decision whether you were going to be a scientist or an artist. And so I chose science. And in those days, as a scientist, you were encouraged not to do biology. That was an arts subject. You had to do physics and maths and chemistry. I did school science that way. We got to university and I thought, you know, I'm really interested in this new subject, as it was a new subject, then biochemistry. Like, it's chemistry, but it's got a bit of biology in it too, and I thought that could be quite interesting. The more I got involved with that, well, the first year, in order to do that, you had to do preliminary courses in biology, and I thought, this is really interesting. I'm not so interested in chemistry, not so interested in physics. I like this biology. We were doing genetics. We were doing the early we're days. the early days of genetics. The early it? days of genetics, early days of ecology. This was the, um, I went to university in 71. Okay. So this was really exciting times. So environmental we were, science was just getting underway. Yeah, it wasn't even called environmental. It, was, it was, has this brand new word, ecology. <laughs> so it was really cutting edge back then and very exciting. And therefore a lot of um, model making ideas that hadn't been fully tested. It grabbed the excitement, it grabbed the imagination. Early genetics, you know, I was at university as an undergraduate when the first DNA was... We were, we were putting in the, the glass um, uh, stirrer and pulling out of the beaker strands of DNA. You know, it was just so exciting. And, and dealing at that tiny molecular level with things that you really couldn't see. You had to have imagination, you had to have vision, you had to come up with ideas. Oh, maybe the molecule moves over it, maybe it does that. Let's go and test that. You know, totally esoteric science in a way. And, and what you're describing is the creativity of a lot of scientists, which isn't often acknowledged. That's a lot right. of scientists are very creative because they have to imagine in, in this world that isn't tangible because it's well, you know, look at things like really hardcore physics. It's not tangible. That's String right, yes. theory and things like that. Yeah, quantum yeah. physics yes. and all that is in the same area. Yeah. It's that cutting, that getting it when it's at the yes. cutting edge, when it really requires imagination and vision. So I got so involved in that that by the end of the first year, I thought, you know, I'm not so interested in biochemistry. How can I do more of this interesting stuff in biology? And the way the courses were structured was you had to choose zoology or botany. I thought, well, okay, well, probably then, oh dear, which one shall I pick? Maybe zoology. So I kind of went through doing zoology by default. I was not interested in the animals. I was interested in the really challenging theories and ideas. So for me to end up picking neurophysiology, that was like the most out there, unexplored in those early 1970 days, not understood 
ripe for people that just love challenging ideas and concepts, and that's why I was there. Right. So that gives you a science background. Did you go on to a master's or a PhD? No, I went on to a PhD and after, in, in London, and after about three months, I just thought, you know, this really isn't for me. I could have done it, but I just thought, this, I don't feel right, I'm not enjoying this, uh, it's, it's very dry. And the particular experiment, the, the research project I was involved in, you might want to press pause and fast forward a bit if you feel a bit, you know, at all queasy. Uh, what we were investigating on paper was how the optic nerve works. So that's the nerve that runs from the eye to the brain. And part of the idea on paper by which we got the grant was, wouldn't it be nice if we can understand how nerves work in some situations, then when things go wrong with people, like their sight goes or in, they've got degenerative nervous diseases, then we can, we've got the information to help mend that. So that was kind of like all looked really good on paper. But what we actually did was we took goldfish and xenopus toads, which are like little tiny, tiny tadpoles at that stage, um, but mostly we worked with the, the goldfish and we'd take out the eye and we'd cut it either into quadrants or halves, um, turn it upside down, let the optic nerve re regrow back to the brain. And this is a very simple example. And so, okay, did the nerves from the bottom part of the eye know where to join back up at the brain? or did the fish see upside down, all, all the kind of things. So what we actually did was cutting eyes up, up, putting them in upside down all around the place, and then going into a room with electrodes into the goldfish's brain and trying to pick up where the signals you know, were going. And so we would be to the point where the people I was working with would just say, okay, it's lunchtime. And I just didn't, I just felt squeamish leaving this sort of green looking goldfish in a, a plasticine bath out of water with all these electrodes and, and as I half turned around and going for lunch and thinking, I don't really think, I might discover some tiny, really minute area of neurophysiology here, but somehow I I'm just think I'm not doing what I really want to do. So it was a big decision for someone like me that was brought up on a fast-tracked um, intellectual career. I went to university when I was 16 um, to say, I don't want to do this. So over a couple of weeks, I just... Did it feel like you were um, giving up? Yeah. It didn't feel so much like I was giving up, but it felt like I was burning a bridge. Well, you probably were, weren't you? Yeah, I was. And so um, interesting things happened after that that put me really into the path that I, you know, have enjoyed being on ever since. When did you come to Australia? Oh, that was 1984. So okay. um, quite a long way down the track after that. Okay. I, we came here for three years and it's now, ooh, 20... Six years, seven years. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. 27 years later. <laughs> so let's do the progression. Mm -hmm. you've, you've got your science training. Where did this dream analysis thing start to appear in your life? If I can probably only answer that looking back. Sure, you it's know. often the way, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, if I was going forward with the direction, I thought I was doing other things. Um, looking back, I think it began with the studying the neurophysiology because there was that excitement of how does the brain interpret the information the nerves are giving it? Because actually all our brains take in the information from our nerves about the world and then our brains always, 100% of the time, make an executive decision. Oh, that doesn't make sense. I'll just change it into something else. That's what our brains do. That can't be right, what, what that information you're sending me about that tree, so I'll just make it right. Because actually, you know, the lens of the eye is like a, the old-fashioned camera lens, so it turns everything upside down. So you're looking at a tree, 
the light rays, if you go back to school physics, the light rays from that tree are crossing over on the lens of your eye and producing a picture of an upside down tree on the retina, the screen of your eye. That message goes to your brain, your brain goes, upside down tree, don't be silly. I know from a baby when I reached out my hands and touched things that things aren't upside down, so we'll just turn that up the right way. And, and that's done the processing in the brain, it, not in the physi physiology of your brain. No, that's right. That's yeah. right, yeah. And have you heard of the experiments where they've actually created lenses that have turned the mm. image upside down? Yes. And within an hour, your brain has flipped it yet again. That's right, yeah. Yes. It's fascinating. It's quite amazing. Yeah. You know, and, and you also, you know, there are all, all those experiments done where people are set up in groups and a pretend crime is committed you know someone runs into the lecture theater grabs something and moves away and then everyone said oh what did the what happens what did the person look like and everybody comes up with a different story mm. what happened what time what, what was the person looking like was it male was it female our brains are interpreting and making up so i i was attracted to that plasticity why do our brains interpret individually differently what we see you know and, and i i grasp okay that. well give me the answer what's the answer well to some extent our brains are trying to make sense of the world for us you know so i might look at something when i'm five five years old because most of this is set in concrete when we're little i might look at something when i'm five or i have a certain experience i might let's think of a silly example okay let's um say that i when i'm five i see a dog and that dog is uh it frightens me so because it actually frightened me, I have adrenaline going through my body and I'm frightened. Every time I see anything vaguely dog-shaped, my brain's going to go, oh, we don't like that, that's a bad thing, that barks, that's nasty. You might have had a cute little puppy dog experience when you were five, so whenever you see anything vaguely dog-shaped, your brain goes, oh, that's really lovely, I love that. So we all interpret according to our experiences and we see things according to our experiences. So what our brains are trying to do is trying to help us. So my brain, in that silly dog example, is trying to protect me from getting hurt by a nasty, horrible dog, because all those things with a head and four legs and a tail are bad for me. That was my experience. My brain's going, you don't want to go there. Your brain is going, ah, oh, you want to go there. That's really nice. So our brains are trying to understand our individual experiences of the world in a way that help us to move forward. In your case, to move towards the fluffy dog, in my case, to go somewhere safe. Now, you expand on every single experience you have, whether it's our experiences with actual things, whether it's our experiences with what we hear people say, whether it's our experiences with our emotions, absolutely everything. Our brain makes an executive decision. It usually compares, oh, that experience you've just had now, that's like back in, that's like when you were three, oh, we're going to file that over there. So we're going to interpret this event in this way. So we're constantly interpreting the world according to our past experiences and our brain does that because our brain is trying to protect us and help us. We know this, we're going to save you from this. We know this, oh this is helpful to you because our brains kind of interpret wrongly, they're sometimes not that helpful to us and we can end up living our lives and interpreting lives and having perceptions about the world that worked for us when we were and protected us when we were children and that are actually not working for us now. We've suddenly slid from the world of neurophysiology into psychology. Yes and even further actually into dreams and I yes. can you pick the point where the science ended in the and the dreams began. Or maybe I should add a bit, add a little bit of extra insight there. When we sleep at night, our dreaming brains process the last 24 to 48 hours of our experiences, 
our conscious ones and our unconscious ones and do exactly what I've just said. Compare everything to the past. Where does this go? File it away. You wake up in the morning, your hard drive is updated. Oh, this is how I see the world today. This is how my brain is interpreting the world. And so you look into a dream and we can explore this more later, but you look into the dream and looking through the symbolism of the dream, what you get is a window into how your brain is working, how you are perceiving and interpreting your world. And that is an incredibly valuable thing. You tell me where the science ended and the dreams began, because the science did end somewhere along the line there, but it was a fluid line. And that's yes, the way and, my life has gone. And you're sneaking up on a really interesting topic there mm. of maybe using dreams as a methodology for psychotherapy. Mm. But before we go there, before we get deep into this whole dream analysis, are you sure you're right? Um, well, nobody it, can ever be sure they're right because my brain is interpreting okay. according to my past okay. experiences okay. all the time. Yes, yes, and that is everything <laughs> from really hardcore science, like even if well, yes. this reality, like are we even sitting here? Yes. You know, but... That lineage of information you just gave me there of the way we process our brains, has that been fully studied and researched, the that, way our brains process reality? Has that been fully... Yes, that's the point where the science didn't end but began to take that right. swan So there has been research on the way our brains lock down interpretations of reality? Yes, there have right. definitely been. And then in my own case, what I have then done is... Uh, I mean, I went into dreams not knowing how it all happened, just went in with the same um, innocent but burning questioning that encouraged me to take that neurophysiology year at university, like, oh, so, okay. what was the uh, virgin territory, here I am. <laughs> so what was the moment that actually said you were interested in dreams more than just you know, a random yeah. thought like we would have? Um, was there a moment? Not really, it was more a series of moments. As a child, I remembered my dreams and was fascinated with them, most children are. I probably was more than others, so I always locked that away as something interesting. And it, how did that happen? Because the scientist in me was always like, where did that come from? Why did I have that dream? Why did it feel real? Why, 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 why? So that was there. So I guess probably inevitably I would eventually follow it, but practically speaking, there was a couple of years around, I think it was 1990, 91, where I was, I was working with people, spending a lot of time with people, and realised that quite a lot of these people were saying to me, I had a dream, da 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 da. It was about this, and I'd be thinking, "Well, how can you not know what that's about?" Like, you know, I don't understand how you don't. I didn't say that to them, but and over a while, I just realised that I had a bit of an intuitive grasp about what people's dreams were about, and I noticed that people were mentioning it a lot and keen and curious, and so that's really where it started. I just followed my own curiosity did some reading, not a lot. I wanted to stay out of reading. I did a lot of my reading after my own research, um, set up groups to uh, interview about their dreams, to do experiments in their dreams, and basically went into it as a child to find out as much as I could. So you then took the scientific model into your queries? Yes, as far as I could. That's right, because you're working with something a bit yeah. hard to to put yeah. in a petri dish. My, my, that's right. My feeling was just because it's really, 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 really difficult and perhaps impossible to take science completely into dreams, does that mean I can't go there at all? Stupid. The only way to begin to look at something and, hey, it's all about me and I wanted to do it anyway, is to just do it anyway, mm. take science as far as I can and then go some more because that's actually how I see it. 
I don't see it as take science as far as you can and then do funny stuff. I see it as take science as far as you can because that can uncover a lot and then go some more. That's your PhD, by the way. <laughs> yeah, go more advanced. Yeah. What did you discover when you started poking around in there? Lots of things. And the main thing that um, really began to emerge from the study that I did, which I didn't write up in any scientific way, but I had a few hundred people involved around the world recording their dreams on paper and also recording certain things about their daytime. So I had them recording what emotions came up for them, any particular events, what insights they might have had during the day. I had those kind of categories. And the first thing I began to notice was a direct correlation between the dreams and what was happening either the day before or the day before that. It seemed to have this pattern of 24 to 48 hours. The more I zoomed in on that, I could see reflections of, once you stripped away the symbolism, you could see reflections of what was happening in that 48-hour period before the dream. And so, it, you know, over hundreds of people. And then I was starting to work with people and see this again and again, look at my own dreams. I could definitely see it in my own dreams, but, you know, I was wary of going there because you're then going for one, you're only looking at one case history and I could be influencing that, you know. Oh, or here's a good idea. Why don't every night I dream? Why don't I review the last two days? <laughs> or just interpreting it with influence. That's right, yeah. yeah. So as I continue to work with people and right up to this day, which is now, this is I'm into 19 years now working professionally full-time in this, I'm still, on every day-to-day basis, every time I look at a dream, I'm so amazed that it pinpoints down to that day or two before. So that was one of the biggest, I found out so many things, but that was like the key one. Okay, can you, and I, I want to keep this really quite logical. How do you know that that dream item relates to that specific event in the last 24, 48 hours. By having the experience to look, but usually by being able to pick out particular things and say to the dreamer, okay, well, look, you know, there's this thing in your dream here. Can we have some examples? Yeah, have you got a dream? Not readily, no. (laughs) No, not not readily. Just about all of my podcasts, which I will give an example, which we're up to episode 95 now. Tons coming. Yeah, and they're done once a week, and most of those are done with a guest coming on the show whose dream I have not heard, and we spend an hour going through the dream. So if anyone listening into my story is interested, you can actually hear the whole process. I don't know the dream. You hear the whole thing from beginning to end, so you get to see that happen. And the website address is? Dream.net.au. Dream.net.au. Yeah. Basically, yeah, I will pick out something from the dream, and it might be so hard to pick an example without having an example in front of me. But early this morning, Mm -hmm. I was dreaming that Mm -hmm. I thought I was awake and in a meditative state, having meditating, and that I had three sort of spherical lights in front of me that if I kept myself at a certain level of calmness I could make them dance in a particular Mm. way and I was sure that I was actually meditating and when I woke up I was disappointed that I wasn't actually meditating (laughs) you were dreaming I was dreaming (laughs) okay so that's and I was exactly in the position I was lying yeah on the couch where I was sleeping we're sleeping so it's a short sharp dream so there's not a lot to play with there but um three points of light that you were you were controlling to some extent so, and that was this morning. Hmm. So if we're looking at the last two days, I'd probably say that there were three points of light, light being perhaps, well, what, what, what is a ball of light to you? What does it feel like? What is it? What is it? Uh, it's ethereal. It's, um, 
magical. It's it's probably got knowledge wrapped up in it. Mm. Sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> so probably in the last day or two, there was something in your life that you felt was within yourself, not me, that was a joke, within yourself that felt um, a, a little bit ethereal but magical but had knowledge wrapped up in it. So you might have been doing some reading on left and right brain connections, you know. There was that feeling that there were three things, three points of light, and from points of light it's like enlightenment, what we see. Three things you saw about yourself. It's almost as if in the day or two before that you came up with three ideas that were quite different, quite creative, quite a little bit beyond what your, where your rationality might often take you, and you're beginning to sense that you, you're playing around with these ideas, particularly because you had them off the ground, they're not grounded, they're up in the air, they're, they're kind of a little bit ethereal, they're mm. airy like mine, like and, problems. And I'm having trouble holding them. Mm. They're sort of fading in and out of reality of their existence, depending on the level of, and you know what it's like when you meditate, in that if you work at it, they fade away, and if you neglect it, they fade away. You have to balance it just perfectly. So would you say that in your life, um, in the last two days, there is a situation where you f feel to yourself emotionally, strange, paradoxically, the more I work at something, the more it seems to fade away. And the less I work at it, the more, the more it, it fades comes. away. Yeah. And if I work at it just the right amount, it seems to be coming into existence. That I can hold it in balance. Yeah, that's what we're doing right now. It's yeah. the, the podcasts and would my you, whole online existence. Yeah. So would you say that in the last two days that has particularly highlighted for you that feeling of that question of, hang on a minute, if I can just get the balance right, I can hold on to, and there's probably three areas of your life or three maybe areas around your podcasting i don't know yeah there would be there would be what we're doing right now the technical mm -hmm. podcasting thing the yeah. second bit would be the business side of it and trying to make it viable and financial and the third bit would be my own private life beautiful and what it would be would be keeping all those balanced yeah. and in harmony not working so hard i burn out but yes. also not being lazy and not putting in the effort when the effort's required like sitting here with you today yeah. and making doing a recording I love that, and I love also the sense that, you know, we talk about keeping all the balls in the air, mm. which is like a juggling act, mm. but your dream or your dream vision didn't have that feeling of, oh, juggle, I've got to, I've got to, oh, I might drop a ball. You had that lovely, serene, meditative feel. Like, oh, it's almost like, shit, I can do this. Yeah, Look at this. yeah. So yeah, did but, you touch but, on that in the last couple of days, that feeling of, I, I think I've actually got this now? Exactly the feeling of these three lights in that, the moment I think that, they start to go away. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the moment I neglect them, they start to go away. Yeah. The moment I realise they're just there, yeah. they're there and they get stronger and so, they become more definite. Yes. So what we can do with that is um, there, even in that quite surreal fragment of a dream, and usually there's a bigger dream to go by, you've, you've noticed that the dream seemed to be processing what was quite new and unusual for you in the day or two before. So in that example... We're talking about not a reality, we're talking about maybe psychologically the way I'm dealing with some issues. Yes. Why is that helpful? In the first instance, you will probably wake up, even if you didn't remember the dream, and some part of you might have thought, hmm, I know how to do this balancing act now, and you would have forgotten the dream. Okay. That may be a good thing, it may be a bad thing, we don't know, but there's such, to some extent there's a residue of the dream solution that you take forward with you some dreams don't have a solution they're the dreams that are unresolved you know when you wake up go no i never got to work that out i never got there on time i didn't catch a plane and you may wake up with the same feeling like oh something's not working but either way you wake up with a residue of the dream 
Right. Where it becomes helpful is we then look at the dream and say, exactly as you just said, okay, this gives me a window onto my mind. Yes, I can see that that's how I was feeling the day or two before, but I already knew that, you'd say. So why? What, what's the point of looking at the dream? Now, some people you can reflect that back to and they didn't already know that. They're not so in touch with what's happening. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. Shit, is that the way I think? You know, it is. You know, that thought just occurred to me the other day, but I didn't hold on to it. So what we've got is we now see, to keep it simple, that you have a belief, because we saw it in your dream, that was processed in last night, this morning. You have a belief that if you focus on something, it goes away. If you neglect it, it goes away. But if you get it just right, you can balance it. Now, you can go forward in life with that mindset and go, I've got it, I've got the formula, I know how to balance things. Or you can say, I wonder if my perception's right. Am I deluded? Am I deluded? Maybe it's not true that if you focus on something, it goes away. Maybe it's not true that if you neglect something, it goes away. But because that's been my experience in my life, I have reinforced that expectation. Every time I do something, part of me thinks, oh, you know, Ian, you know, anything you focus on, it's just going to go away. So unconsciously, you let it go. Your conscious mind will be going, no, 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 don't be stupid. Of course I put all my effort into it. But your unconscious mind, which by definition we don't know, just says, no, I'm going to protect you from this again. Just like I'm going to protect Jane Teresa from that dog. I'm going to say, you don't want to go there. You don't want to focus because it's going to go away. I'll just take that away from, you know, I'll. So we, then I say to you, oh. So the reinforcements are done while you're sleeping. Yeah, because sadly, mostly what our dream does, while, our brain does while we're dreaming is um, compare everything to the past. Oh, yes, that's right. Oh, yes, that's right. So it's concreting your past beliefs. Occasionally, a dream will have a breakthrough and your dream will go, actually, that's a bit different. I'm going to see things differently. And that's when you wake up with a new idea or a new vision. And, and a lot of uh, working with your dreams is beginning to allow yourself to stop um, connecting your recent experiences of the last two days with your past and to start to release that and to start to see anew to open your perception, open your vision. So what we could do if we took the next step with yours and so I could say to you, Ian, are you happy to go through life now just saying, I'm going to do this fine tune, balancing up, because I know you can do that and be very successful and that's fantastic. Or would you like that and would you like that if, whether you focus or whether you neglect something, it also works? Because if you do, it's possible that you've got an unconscious belief that says if you focus or if you neglect, it's going to go away. Would you like to change that unconscious belief because it's acting against you? That's where the value comes in and that's when I then move to what I call dream alchemy, which is our exercises playing with the symbols of your unconscious mind to, um, to reprogram your unconscious beliefs so that in life suddenly, oh, the things I'm focusing on are staying with me or the things I'm neglecting. Now, one of the joys for me is over these 19 years, and increasingly the more I fine-tune this, so increasingly, say, the last 10 years when I've been doing this dream alchemy, is working with things that seem like that conversation, that seem ethereal, bizarre, like unconscious belief. Of course, I haven't got an unconscious belief like that. But giving people these exercises to do and then talking to them a week later and then saying, do you know, the strangest thing has happened. This is really weird, and I feel like silly telling you, but, you know... And your example might be, I, you know, I was focusing on something and it just got stronger and stronger and stronger. People will come to me and say, I noticed, and it was like standing outside of my body, I noticed myself respond in a different way to what I would normally respond. 
and it will be from the issue that we looked at. So the unconscious belief that was blocking them before and causing them to respond to the world in a certain way had changed and therefore they're responding to the world in a different way. So when we come back to the question of science, whether or not we necessarily understand and have minutely investigated and QED'd the middle bit, at the end of that shoot, those dream analysis clients are going out there and getting different results in the world. So isn't that proof of the pudding? Well, it's proof of something. It's proof of something, yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yes. And, that, and, uh, and that sort of archetypal proof of something shows that there has been something going on. There's been an effect, there's been a process, something mm. is happening. The science is not definitive to say yes. that it's happening the way you're suspecting. Yeah. But maybe sometimes it's not possible to work that out or it's something that is yeah. yet to be revealed by science. Because we're talking about here the world of psychology and a lot of psychological experiments are very difficult to do by definition, oh, aren't yes, they? yes, absolutely. There are a lot of psychology experiments which seem to have control experiments, but how, when you know the nature of how the brain works, you go right back to that square one, the brain is making its own decisions. Yeah, yeah. and even twin experiments, which, yes. which are incredibly valuable. The two twins have got different life experiences anyway. Yes. So psychologically, you can't even do it with twins. Yes. So very difficult thing. But that doesn't mean that there's not things happening and that you don't have control of this uh, team of horses, but you may not actually know that there might be a mule in there, but they're all pulling together anyway, so yeah. it doesn't really matter. What have you learned from all this? Oh, so much. Like, it's, it's totally changed me as a person, you know, because I've benefited from all that insight and understanding. What have I learned from that? Um, if I brought it down, probably what's battering at my brain to say, and it's probably the first time I've heard it, but is uh, that you can do anything. You know, it's, it's taught me, and I hope that I've probably lived that, that if I have an idea or a vision or a challenge, that if I want to do it, I can just go and do it. You know, because if there are mindsets working against me, I can, I can unravel those, I can change them. Life is an illusion. And therefore, a person, maybe not necessarily me, but including me, a person can do anything. You change your vision, change the illusion, and you can do anything. I guess what I'm trying to say is what I have learned from doing all this is that there are no reasons to ever hold yourself back from doing something other than your own limited beliefs, which are illusory. And in bed with that, there's no reason, just because you're trained as a scientist, that you can't go and explore dream work and do whatever you want to do and come out and help people with that because you can see the huge life transforming differences it's making to people's lives. Okay, so Leila, I would like to talk to the scientist <laughs> and say, what about those, now you understand dream analysis, so it's not as esoteric to you as it is to me. Yeah. Or what it was when I first walked in here. But what about something that is esoteric to you? Let's say things like, uh, pagan rituals mm. and witchcraft and things mm. like that. Very esoteric, but a lot of people would say that herbalists and herbalism and that sort of medicine that is the basis of a lot of witchcraft um, has certain validity. It's just never been explored. How do you, and that's only just one example, there's yeah. lots of examples of all sorts of esoteric studies, um, sweat lodges, you know, all sorts of things. Has your thoughts about those sort of things changed because of your experiences with dream analysis? Um, yes, I mean, I, I don't do witchcraft or... <laughs> um, 
astrology or various things like that. But I would have the same open-mindedness to those processes that I apply to myself. The difference is, of course, that I have explored and familiar with an, an expert in my own field. So to me, it, a lot of it does make common sense and logic. So is it necessary yeah. for Jane Theresa to actually have studied something before she will take it oh, on? Oh, I see what you mean. Oh, because no. yeah, because I, I personally don't... I, I've never studied physics. Yeah. But I assume that the physicists out there have done the work, so I'm prepared to believe in the laws yeah. of physics. You've studied dream analysis. I haven't. Yeah. But I'll take your word for it. Yeah, you've given me a pretty good argument here. Yeah. But people have studied astrology or numerology or yeah. um, tantric. You know, they'll have very strong opinions about that yeah. too, but I haven't studied it. Yeah. So what do you think about those sorts of, you know, that, that attitude? Do, do, are you less than super scientifically critical of those disciplines now that you've gone down this path? Because they get results. Yeah, I probably would never have applied probably would never have thought of applying I, I guess I guess I'm having difficulty answering your question because I guess I see everybody in their own playgrounds and enjoying their own things and and um, I might get an astrology reading done and then I'll be looking I guess a scientist as part of me will be looking in the astrology re reading for points of resonance oh yeah that's true that's true that's not that's not so I guess a scientist is alive and looking at those things I'm certainly one to embrace alternative healing of any kind I'll, I'll i'll try everything and a lot of things work really well and i probably will choose alternative modalities over traditional modalities most of the time and that's a result of understanding not only the illusions of life but understanding how much of life works because of my understanding of dreams some of those things are in contradiction mm. to science homeopathy for argument's sake mm. very much in contradiction to science but I don't believe that science takes can do everything, you see? I mean, my, my picture of the world, if, if this was TV, would be to draw a huge, big circle and say, that is life and how it works. And then I'd be drawing a little circle inside that, which would have um, the ratio of the moon to the sun. The little circles, just the moon size, the big circles, the sun size. And I'd say that moon is the area of life which can be explored and understood from a scientific point of view. And that's wonderful, and I think science is fantastic. And there's areas of life which, which we obviously all benefit from because we've been able to take scientific analysis into them and sometimes get the right answers. Quite often, decades later, oh, that was wrong, we've just done another experiment. <laughs> but the rest of life is not doable through scientific analysis. You know? And I guess my feeling about my dreams is I've kind of intersected with that. I've taken a bit of science into that other area. There's a lot of magic about the world and I use the term loosely. So how do we embrace that bigger picture when it can't be explained? Um, Everything not not expecting science to do it for us. Why do we look at science as the big saviour? Oh, if it's not scientific, it's not real. Before anybody, and I'm not just talking about me, before anybody went in with any kind of scientific attitude to look about dreams, were they real? Did they exist? We did actually all wake up in the morning and go, I just had a dream, didn't we? Mm, so absolutely. they were there without science needing to endorse the fact that they were there. That sounds very superficial, but it's actually very deep at the same time. <laughs> Life exists, and it goes on. And just because science may not be able to get in and understand it, doesn't mean to say that tick, 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 or maybe not tick, tick, maybe there's no linear, linear time. But there it is, now, 
and there it is now, and there it is now. There is life continuing, and it continues, and we live it, and we breathe it, and we do all sorts of wonderful things, and we do all sorts of things that are not so wonderful without the help of science. So, science is a tiny bit. So negotiating all those other things that science doesn't explain, mm. do we just believe what we want to believe? Is it belief? Is it believing? Is okay. it just experiencing? Pers- personal knowing. Yeah. I, I, and I guess that takes me back to when you asked me the question, how has doing the dream work changed, changed me? Something like, what, what, what it, I got it, from it. What you yeah. So what I've got from it is that I'm, I don't really want to spend my life standing in that tiny little moon-sized field of science when I could be exploring the whole rest of the surface of the moon. And, and I guess it's only in the last, what, when did, when did science begin? Uh, 1,500? Yeah, yeah well, maybe a bit later. 1,600? The, the age of enlightenment, yeah. 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 So, um, you know, a few hundred years, increasingly we've embraced science as the answer to everything. Mm. Mm. And then we began to scratch our heads and question some of that, particularly with quantum physics, opened a bit of a doorway and all sorts of other things. So, you know, maybe in a couple of hundred years ago, and I'd like to predict if our technology lasts that long, if anyone's listening to this recording in 200 years ago, that... Science plays an even smaller role in our life. I find it interesting how uh, the world of physics and the world of theology seem to be saying the same things often, mm. just in different ways. Mm. Uh, it's just, I find that fascinating. You keep hearing it. You hear the Dalai Lama talk about something and then they talk about something in quantum. Yes. And they go, yeah, they're very similar. So it, it's all converging on the fact that all matter is energy. Yeah. And yeah. in between, the matter is energy. Yep. And so we're all coming to the same conclusion. That's Ooh, right. There's energy. Yeah, and we're all coming to it from different places, <laughs> yes. but we're all coming to the same place of what is. Yeah. And again, that's only our perception of it, isn't exactly. it? Exactly, yeah. That's right. What's your site address again? So people can go there and maybe listen to many, many episodes, because in listening to the episodes, am I correct that you actually learn how to analyse your own dreams? By effectively sitting in on a whole dream analysis and hearing how I take it from the beginning, you're absorbing a lot of the interpretation tips. Sometimes I'll stand back and say, hey listeners, what we're really doing here is, this is a tip you can take. So you take that on board. Sometimes we go very deep, because I tend to attract guests who are extremely curious and interested, and we can go all over the place, and my general knowledge gets the real workout sometimes. (laughs) Probably, I think we looked back over the 95 shows, and I think it was one in five when we, we didn't have a guest, we just, I, introduce special subjects and things that I want which are, you know can also be really good to listen to if you after dream interpretation tips so yeah it, and people phone in from all around the world yeah we um we are we say if you're interested in being on the show just email me and then we set up a time because I, I, I do most of my work internationally anyway on, on Skype or phone we set up a time we um, Skype them so the person on the other end either picks up the phone or is on Skype and we record the whole show from there so and the show runs how long, roughly? It's usually about an hour. Okay. So we'll, um, we'll talk to the person, have a quick chat. Don't tell me your dream. Don't tell me your dream. We'll just get the recording levels right. Right. Okay, here we go. Bang, we'll record. And we don't edit unless we've got like a plane flies overhead. Or a crow or outside a crow. like we, we just had. Yeah, we have had quite a lot of crows that we've kept in because when we've listened back, 
those crows have come in at significant moments and added to the show. <laughs> to answer your question, www.dream.net.au and you find the link to the Dream Show on the front page. Go and check it out, people. Do you do personal consults? I do, yeah. Does that have to be physical or can that be over Skype as well? It's over Skype. I used to do it physically, face-to-face, and then I realised once I could do it by Skype, so we do it Skype visually or audio or phone, but even people locally like that because nobody has to go anywhere mm. <laughs> Just yeah, you, so, d- you don't have to get out of your pajamas no well, well i do it i do if it's a cam do you wear pajamas well don't yeah, answer that i'm like i'm like the, i'm like the tv presenters you know as long as long as i've got a nice top and i've brushed my hair everything else is fine. <laughs> i can wear matter. my i can wear my old jeans <laughs> um yeah and most time zones of course it works the tight times time zones of the uk and funnily enough, our own Perth, <laughs> because if you've got people working during the day, there is only a tight window in Perth and there's a tight window in the UK of about three hours. Hmm. And most other places in the world, particularly America, I've got a lot of clients in America, is really great because they've been working during the day. Their evenings, my daytime works beautifully. Right, right. So if people want to actually have a private consult, they can contact you and ask? Yeah, contact me through the website and there, there are two or three different options, different ways in which we can do it. And obviously it's, yeah, it's totally confidential. You're in your own home, on your phone or on your mm-hmm. Skype. And yes, it's funny, you know, I, when I started doing one-on-work people with dreams, oh, however long ago that was, 10, 15 years ago, I called it dream coaching. The word just seemed good. And I thought, well, there's fitness coaches, there's life coaches, or there weren't life coaches, there's fitness coaches, business coaches, I'll be a dream coach. And all I was doing, though, was the dream interpretation because... Exactly what you're doing there. Exactly, that's right. And then it just occurred to me about a year ago, I thought, hang on, I really should take this further. And because there are a lot of life coaches out there, um, and people that I'm doing dream work with are often saying to me at the end, I love what you're doing, this is making, this is totally transforming my life, I want more of you, what else can I do, like can I have you sometimes to maybe help give me a different perspective on life or help me to see through my dreams what it is that I'm missing and so then I first of all put it up there again as dream coaching then I actually changed it to life coaching because people know what it is and what I do with that is the difference is that if you come to me for to have a dream interpreted or to work with a dream, it's a one-off, like one hour, we do that, it's done, bye-bye, maybe see you if you have another dream. Whereas with the life coaching, people sign up for four weeks or 20 weeks, and that's a commitment to speak to me for 45 minutes every week. And so it will um, usually take the form of, oh, what have you been doing since last week? What's been happening? What's not happening for you? Let's have a look at one of your dreams. Ah, now that helps us to understand why this is going this way in your life. Let's work with that. I'm going to set you an exercise to do. And of course, by the time I speak to you next week, you'll have done it, won't you? So you've got the accountability in it as well. So you're using dream analysis as a tool, a diagnostic tool. Yes. Of what's going on in their subconscious. Absolutely, yeah. Very cool. And they can find that on your site? That too, yes. Easily find www.dream.net.au. Yeah. Jane Theresa, thanks very much for coming on the show. I was really curious to see the contradictions and how they worked, and uh, thanks for sharing them with us. Uh, Thank you for asking lots of really interesting questions. That was great. Thank you very much. (laughs) Catch you around. Thanks for coming. Bye-bye.
There are eight million stories in the naked city. This has been one of them.